This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone. This is a traditional episode, old school. Got Chris Nee, got Josh Newberg. It's very early in the morning, and they're both cranky with me already. Hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> got to bring the energy. Let's go. Let's get it going. There was a five-star offensive tackle on campus this week, and that's where we were going to start our podcast. Let's get hyped. When was the last time there was a five-star offensive tackle on campus? Well, Evan Neal last year, but that doesn't count. We won't We won't talk about it. I think that was two years ago. Yeah, Evan was two years ago at this oh, point. God. All right. Well, let's talk about the good stuff because it, it's – I know we think it's far-fetched that FSU is going to go ahead and get Tristan Lee, but to even get him on campus during weird times is is a nice little feather of the cap for Alex Atkins and the staff. Mm. Josh, I will throw it to you. Please inform the, the fine listeners of On the Bench – uh, about Tristan Lee, who he is, and uh, and why getting him on campus. Yeah, the nice original story hit Knowles 24-7 on Monday. Chris Nee put something out um, with help from Gabby Arudia of our Miami site saying that Tristan Lee, a five-star offensive tackle from Fairfax, Virginia, was going to be on campus. Now, we didn't know exactly what date it was going to be. We thought it was going to be this week. We didn't know it was going to end up being on Tuesday. So on Tuesday, um, Tristan Lee and his family – took an unofficial visit to Florida state. They, you know, they rolled up on their own dime. We've talked about this before on the podcast, how this is possible. They're not allowed to have any interaction with the Florida state staff or any players on the team, but they can go about their business, tour the facility, have lunch. They can get out. They can walk around campus. I'm sorry. They can't tour the facility. They are not allowed in the Moore center, but they can tour campus. Um, They can go around the outside of the stadium. They can go around and check out all the buildings they're just not allowed to have any face-to-face contact with the coaching staff. Um, Michael Mislinski did a visit like this last month. Uh, we, we published it on Knowles 24-7. And uh, I was told Tristan Lee spent about three and a half hours with his family on campus on Tuesday. Anything to add to that part of yeah. the, uh, the breakdown, Chris? Well, I'll give a little bit of background on him as a whole, as a recruit. FSU is part of his top 15. He put it out a little while ago. He's a kid who's certainly not in a rush. He, uh, Brian Doan, who's our Northeast guy, but Brian does a lot of national stuff as a whole. Mm-hmm. He's got a good relationship with Tristan. They actually spoke the day before the uh, visit to Miami and FSU occurred, so two days before FSU, a day before Miami. And uh, they didn't talk about those visits because from what we understand, Tristan wanted to keep these unofficial, you know, personal visits very much to himself and didn't really want to talk about it, especially beforehand. And he's been quiet about it since. To my knowledge, he hasn't spoken about him since. Um, I'm trying to see how this whole thing pans out, speaking of the pandemic. If I'm able to do official visits, I would take all of them before I commit. If not, I'm trying to get all my information to be able to commit. He has said throughout his recruitment, he wanted to see multiple Florida schools as well as some others in the Southeast he hadn't been to yet. So this trip was kind of to get to see those 
in case it gets to a point where he's not able to take on unofficials and he's limited to only five officials. Because at this point, Clemson's probably almost certainly an official. LSU's almost certainly an official. And then some of the big boys, some of the major contenders nationally are contending with everybody are likely to be other officials. So I think he was trying to check out some schools that are kind of fringe to those five and figure things out. And that's what this trip was somewhat about. On a scale of one to 10, how do we absorb the significance of this development of getting him <laughs> on campus? I don't want to overblow I mean, it. I don't want to undersell comparable it. Comparable to the other news that's come out this summer when it comes to recruiting, it's a 10. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't think you were to go 10. All right. But I think the significance of it has to be watered down because he is a long shot, even though he stepped oh, on campus and all he that. He didn't There's ask no the chances of, of landing. Now, if he asked the chances of landing, I'd go with a one, but the significance, <laughs> I'd go with the 10. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I think talking, it's a, we're talking about symbolic then is Yeah, that, no doubt. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it definitely matters to have one a five star on campus, two an offensive tackle, and three by getting a guy like him on campus and somebody else we may speak about very soon here. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be better so mm-hmm. no, I know I see it. It uh it plays a role in the kids that are more realistic for FSU to land to feel some pressure that you know, oh, they're getting these guys on campus. I need to be a little more increased attention to them. You know, a guy like Rod Orr falls into that category of more realistic. And there's others that they're still dealing with, some who have offers, some who do not, who kind of fall in that realm too. So I think I think it plays into that. And it never hurts for an offensive line coach to get more high-level national recruits on campus. In a normal cycle, those national recruits, when they go, you know, man, I went to Tallahassee. I really liked FSU. When other kids hear that, it matters. Or when they talk about it in an interview, it matters. So it carries weight in that sense of them being a messenger, even if they're not going to ultimately end up with your program. Yeah. I want to say a little bit more about Tristan Lee. I spoke to a couple sources after the visit occurred. Um, Florida State feels, you know, much like Chris said, that they're kind of on the on the fringe there. I think Clemson, Alabama, and LSU are the most likely destinations. Um he is the number three offensive tackle in America. And we're going to talk about another top offensive tackle in America. And it just goes to show you that Alex Atkins can get these type of players on campus. Um, I wouldn't put the expectations too high in terms of their ability to land them right now. I think once Florida state's brand is built back up, then FSU will have a chance at actually landing these kids, but it's a good sign that you got an offensive line coach right now. That's attracting the number three offensive tackle in America, maybe the number two offensive tackle in America as well to come to campus, to just to check out FSU on their own dime. Um, symbolically it's a 10 realistically speaking, their chances of landing a guy like this are, are, are slim right now. Um, but they were non-existent before the visit. Correct. Correct. They were non-existent before the visit. Another thing I want to hit on, um, just some clarification on what these visits are and what they can be. Um, when Myslinski took his visit to campus, we told you guys that he took his phone out while they were driving slowly around campus, turned the camera around on FaceTime so that the FSU staff could see what buildings they were going by and they would describe to the family, you know, what they're looking at. So found out a little bit more, um, while they can't exactly plan a visit, like they can't tell a kid where to stay and all that, they can suggest some things to them. Like, hey, go check out Madison Social and, and have lunch at Madison Social. And it's just right, it's a walk away from 
you know, this building. And so they can kind of outline ahead of time a couple things and then also communicate with them via phone, um, but still no face-to-face contact and no face-to-face contact with the players at all, as well. I, I got that clarification. So well, just a couple one, more details. One thing I, on the player thing, um, it's kind of a gray area. If a player has a pre-existing yeah. relationship with a prospect, they technically can. If it just sort of happens in the sense of the prospect knows a player somehow or there's a relationship and they set something out up, beyond the university having any involvement in doing so it can happen but like you can't just create a run-in like you can't you can't bs it there has to be some yeah and i don't think they're even credible backstory and fsu is not trying to do that but i do know of an instance with an sec program where i believe it's actually a former player but a recently former player ran into a kid visiting and it from my knowledge, it's because they had like a similar trainer or something like that, that kind of brought about that. So I just want that for clarification, but FSU technically can't have any hands on direct Mm -hmm. in-person involvement with a kid when they're on campus beyond what Josh has explained. Can they just have like Alex Atkins walking around campus blindfolded so it's not face-to-face screaming stuff like like when jim what a coincidence i eat lunch at madison social (laughs) hey remember when jim levitt wasn't coaching linebackers he's just yelling at raymond woody uh what to yell to uh to linebackers that that while staring at the ground he was talking to the ground um, oh God, I miss covering the Willie Taggart there. One other school I'd throw in that mix of the schools Josh mentioned is Ohio State. I think they're trending pretty well with the kid actually in the sense of entering his top three, four. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, those are four schools we've talked about. I think all four are probably likely to get official. So he's got another 11 schools vying for a uh, fifth official. And I think without an unofficial, you're dead in water in that regard. So I think that probably helps FSU to kind of hold out the hope that maybe somehow we get this kid back on campus for an official visit. Yeah, we, we just milked 10 minutes out of a, uh, out of an unofficial visit in which the kid couldn't actually talk to the coaches in July during a pandemic. Nicely done fellas. This is why we're like the fifth best FSU podcast out there. Another, I mean, he's a five, hold on. He's a, he's a five-star off. We're not going to short a five-star offensive I, lineman I, that comes to campus, Brendan. I'm sorry. I talk like, about three-star tight ends. Like the <laughs> right. Right so you fall in love with star, When a five-star offensive tackle shows up on campus, yeah. we're going to, we're going to live that life. What are you guys going to do when transition? Amarius Mims shows up to campus. That's another five-star offensive we'll tackle. See. Like if you get two in two weeks, you're going to lose your minds. You're going to throw a party. What's happening? Yeah, we'll see on vacation. (laughs) We'll see if that actually happens. Um, We'll be face down drunk in the beach on on the beach somewhere passed out like Edgar Allan Poe. It's an old school reference for you guys. Because he died in a gutter. Go ahead, Josh. You're actually talking about important things. Yeah, no. On Tuesday, I reported that a source told me that Bleckley County five star offensive tackle Marius Mims is in the process of finalizing transportation plans for a visit to Tallahassee similar to what we just saw with Tristan Lee. Um, That trip, I was told, could take place possibly today or tomorrow, but more likely it'll be next week um, if the transportation plans get figured out. Mims put out a top 10 on April 1st. FSU was among them. Um, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Auburn, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Florida were the others. Mims goes six foot seven, 315 pounds. Uh, number six overall prospect in the country and the number two overall offensive tackle. So the number three rated tackle 
came in uh, on Tuesday and Mims is the number two rated tackle. And he's in the process of making these plans. Mims has also set a decision date for August 15th. So Brandon asked me, does FSU factor into his decision? Does FSU factor into his decision? I'm glad you asked, Brendan. No, I mean, I don't think they really do. I think this one comes down to either Georgia or Alabama. Shocking. Um, He has an excellent relationship with Alex Atkins so well that I think that he's going to make his decision on August 15th. I expect it to be Georgia. That's where my crystal ball is. Maybe Alabama if they could pull off a shocker, but I'm not ready to flip my crystal ball yet. So I still feel confident it's Georgia. But even if he makes that decision on August 15th, I still think he takes an official visit to FSU if he's able to. I think FSU will be one of the official visits that he locks in. Um, So we'll see. Just going to track this one, get him on campus one step at a time. Yeah, and somebody that's in his huddle that knows him well from the school, they they post on the board once in a while. Snow knows him. I've met him when uh, Amarius previously visited. He's consistently said FSU is actually a contender here. But he's always been clear to say the mods referencing us are correct when they say that they're well behind Alabama and Georgia. We almost dismiss his name on the message board in the sense of, oh, it's going to be Alabama or Georgia. And that's been true for, I feel like, at least three months. And I don't think that's going to change down the stretch. I think it's always been one of those two. Personally, I think it's Georgia. Um, But you never dismiss Alabama when they truly want a kid. You guys have both hinted at it and kind of touched on and danced around it here. Alex Atkins can recruit, I think. Is oh, no take- doubt. I think that's the takeaway for me mm-hmm. in the last 15 minutes or so. And I think if you look at like a guy like Cameron Scott, for example, Cameron Scott doesn't have an offer yet, but Cameron Scott's relationship with FSU is as good as with any school in the country. He talks to Atkins on a regular. He likes him. Uh, Cameron Scott's a kid that cares about love from the fan base. He's feeling it out on Twitter. There is certainly a relationship there. And I think the thing that Atkins does an effective job of is building a good enough bond with kids where if there's a push or a shove for, hey, come visit and stuff like that, the answer is almost always a yes. And that's the first key to anything, because if you don't get a kid on campus, you're not getting a kid. And even in these circumstances, he's able to get kids on campus that they're not going to get, but you still want to be involved with. Mm. And, uh, you know, we've seen with Cameron Scott, Kimo McAnally from Niceville is another kid that comes to mind. Um, there's a few others that they're uh, the Armand Batia kid up in New York. They have relationships with a lot of kids at the offensive line position that are really good relationships. And some of those kids are never going to materialize in the real recruits for FSU in the sense of landing an offer and being somebody they're truly trying to add to the class. And I think that's a sign of a good recruiter, a guy that understands this is plan A, but he also knows plan B, C, and D. And he does a good job of treating all of them the same. He treats the CEO, the five-star, the same way he treats a janitor, the two-star who might develop. And I think that's something that goes a long way for a dude. Yeah, I was going to add to that um, about the relationships, especially with the top-tier kids. You got to factor in the transfer portal. And what I mean by that is these relationships that that Atkins is building, I know it sounds silly to, to be talking about the transfer portal right now, but he's in with all of these top offensive linemen. These top offensive linemen are probably going to go off to other schools, but what happens in a year or two if somebody hits the portal? I mean, that relationship with Atkins is going to come back into play. So I'm not saying that the reason why he's keeping in touch with Tristan Lee and Amarius Mims is because of the portal. 
All I'm saying is the, you never know these relationships could come full circle one day. One more offensive lineman I want to talk about very, very quickly is Michael Mislinski. We've mentioned him so far on the podcast. Chris, really quickly, uh, he's someone who visited last month. Sounds like he has a couple more visits to take and then kind of narrowing in on a decision. Yeah, he was at Mizzou yesterday. He's supposed to see Michigan State and Iowa this week, and Iowa is a big key in his recruitment, in my opinion. They were at a school that before any of these visits, I felt like it was trending the most. I think some of the uh, instability with the staff there, changes with the staff there that happened recently may have opened the door a bit for others. He may also take a trip to Arkansas on the back end of this group of visits, but this should conclude his visits. He's expected to decide later in July. He visited FSU about a month ago, actually just shy of a week of a month ago. Uh, He also saw Duke, Texas, Maryland, a few others. I think Texas is another key player in this. FSU is involved. He is a Jacksonville kid, but I wouldn't fall in love with the location here. His dad's an NFL strength coach, so he's moved around, lived in different places. Dad played ball, I believe it was at Tennessee. He's got some Midwest ties, which is why Iowa's probably a player. Um, I was told the Texas visit went really well. I know he enjoyed his FSU visit, um, but I was told Texas went really well. I think Iowa is one to keep an eye on this weekend. I'm always happy if there's a uh, if there's an offensive lineman you're in on that is also looking at Iowa. Like I feel like that's that's usually a good sign. Yeah, Iowa, Wisconsin, yeah. Ohio State, any of those three. Yeah, if they, if it's a kid they love on the offensive line, you probably should love them too. All right. So the the last recruiting topic that I want to go over, Josh wrote about the defensive end board recently. We talked about it in one of our last podcasts together. But really quick, an update: Landon Watson, the defensive end from Texas list FSU in his top six I guess Virginia Tech is a team to be I, Chris you wrote about the Watson update I think I want to make sure I'm throwing it to the right person but just a yeah. real quick update there yeah FSU replaced Tennessee officially according to the young man and his top six uh Cal is another one Virginia Tech's another one Arkansas I think is in there uh he says he's pretty open I tried to dig on why does VTech have such a 94.1 percent lead in the crystal ball over anybody else Apparently, back when recruiting seemed normal, he was expected to take an official to Virginia Tech in June. That also correlates with the time when the whole VT to TX movement was going on. Now, the flag holder of that whole movement is now committed to Auburn to play quarterback. So I think that movement, to some degree, has died a death. Um, There is individuals on Virginia Tech's staff, support staff, who have direct Texas ties to the area Watson's from. So that certainly builds a bond. I wouldn't dismiss FSU here. I think FSU's got a real shot, especially if they're able to get him on campus before he decides. He is friends with Hunter Washington. That certainly helps. And they're better than just, oh, we know each other from the internet. They're they're legit friends. Um, and, you know, he, he's legitimately interested. He is the guy of the recent run of defensive end offers. I would say him and Byron Turner are the two that I feel like they have some footing with, where they have a shot of getting in the mix there. All right, let's transition to Josh's favorite game, going down the list of our picks for the 40 most important players on FSU's 2020 roster. You ready, Josh? Let's go. Okay, we we did 40 through 21 uh, recently. Today we're going to go 20 through 11 because we are technically not listed. We have not listed the top 10 yet on the website so we don't want to go too far ahead so we're just going to go through this group of the 10 guys and I think this is where you start kind of seeing the the strength of the roster starting to formulate towards the 
the top half of, of this list. But we're going to start off at 20. Tight end, Cameron McDonald. I had him at 17. Chris had him at 18. And Newberg, very, very low on him, 30th. Uh, I will say this about Cam McDonald. Only six passes for 43 yards in his reception, or for six receptions for 43 yards in his career. Josh, is that a reason why you're a little low on, on Cam? Yeah, I got him there because he has six receptions for 34 <laughs> yards. But who else is playing tight end? Like, who else do you, you – you didn't have Jordan Wilson on your list either, I think. Right? No, I'm not very high on the tight end position, am I? There's I don't an, know. There, there what, lies an issue here, high. though. And this the, is, whole reason, the whole reason I have him higher is because I expect Mike Norvell to use a tight end a lot. <laughs> so somebody has to catch the ball. And I, Cam's a hardworking dude. He puts in the work. The effort's there. His body's in a good place. You know, it's kind of now or never with him, and I'm going mm-hmm. now. Josh is, a, Josh is a never, apparently. Yeah, well, apparently, look, he just doesn't think they're going to use tight ends. No, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now with certain guys like Bavion Johnson. I'm now with certain guys. Uh, who was the other guy that I was high on? And then I'm just on never with a few. Jordan Young was a never for me. Uh, this is a never for me. So, you know, we don't all agree on on every one of my... Um, no, that's the whole point of this is to yeah. that we're not all going to agree. It is an interesting Thank talking you. point, though, in, in my mind that FSU... Uh, is likely going to need to use tight ends a lot this year if you want to look at mm-hmm. historically how Mike Norvell has ran his offense, especially at Memphis. And there's not a whole lot of proven viable options right now in terms of experience. Cam McDonald's is the most experienced returning tight end. You add Jordan Wilson uh, through the transfer portal from UCLA. I mean, he, he had his best season as a redshirt freshman and more of a pro-style type of offense. So you hope that transitions, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have a ton of pr- production. And then after that, you're talking about Wyatt Rector, who's a walk-on, who played quarterback for his entire career and is moving to tight end. Uh, you're talking about Carter Boatwright, who probably needs another year to physically develop before he's ready. And Marcus and Douglas, who really is a converted hoops player, has only played tight end for a couple of years. So the tight end room has some question marks. And then I I put Cam where I had him just simply because, like Chris said, someone has to catch the passes. You're going to use tight end to a fair, you know, fair extent. So that's why I... I think he's a top 20 most important player, but yeah, there's some serious concerns at tight end. Now let's move on to linebacker or at number 19. We have not linebacker Emmett Rice. I have him at 16. Knee has him at 15. Newberg, you are now the high man. You're very polarizing. You're all over the place. There's no middle ground for you, Josh. You have him at 11. And uh, pretty much everyone's fairly consistent on him. I think he was in between the twenties for most of us, uh, the teens to twenties, Josh, a little bit higher on him. Uh, explain to us, please, sir, why you are. Uh, what was bullish. my explanation in the story? I don't know. I didn't look that up for it. <laughs> I think it was. I think it had to. I think it had to do. <laughs> Josh is trying to plagiarize himself. I like his experience. I liked his experience in my mind when I was coming up with the list, and just the fact that somebody needs to step up and be a leader in the middle of that defense, and he has a chance to do that. That's where I found the importance with him was more so kind of being a leader on that defense. There's this fun part of this exercise is we made this list like a month and a half ago. So just completely forgetting yeah. like yesterday, Bud went in to the board and was like, Oh, Robert, Robert Cooper was 12th or whatever. He's like, Oh, that seems, you know, I'm surprised he's that high on the list. And I looked up, Bud had him at 10th and I think just forgot that, that he had right. him where, where he had him. It's funny how your mind changes throughout the off season of what you're valuing and what's important. I think we all are going to have those moments as we're counting down here. Well, I like I do. <laughs> I know it's crazy because I have crazy thoughts, but like I did put in thought behind each pick and I just have to go back. And like you said, it was a while ago. So I have to go back and remember, like, oh, why did I do that? And yeah, no, with Emmett Rice, 
so many times I think we felt like the defense lacked a true leader. And there was times where the leader of the defense, like wasn't even playing on the field. He wasn't playing an integral role. And I think that's also a necessity. You can't lead without also being a, a very good player on the football team. And I think Emmett Rice has a shot to be that. Second leading tackler on the team last year, 228 pounds now, just shy of that. Mm-hmm. And I just think he's a dude that's kind of a sledgehammer. I think he's a guy that in a actual good defensive scheme that has a clue of what the hell it's trying to accomplish, which is an improvement over last year. Um, I think he can be super productive. And I think he's a guy that's going to consistently start at linebacker and see a lot of snaps every game. So I think his value is great. I'm with both you guys. I think all three of us were higher on him than the rest of the pundits that did the, the composite with us. He had 72 tackles last season, including four and a half for a loss, a sack, a fumble recovery, a pass breakup. And that was uh, him not being a full-time starter until the back half of the season. You look at his PFF grades, he was far more consistent and productive in the second half of the season. So someone who was trending up uh, after 2018, he was dealing with a knee injury last year. I think he had the hand issue as well. Seems like he's finally healthy. He was finally healthy at the end of last season. You kind of finally see what he can be now as he enters his redshirt senior season. Isn't that crazy? He's a redshirt senior. He's been here for five years. Mm. Yeah, makes me feel old. Number 18. Okay, we're going to start getting into the offensive linemen a little bit in this section of the list. I know everyone uh, is, is very anxious about the offensive line for good reason. Number 18, we have Brady Scott. I am the high man on Brady. I have him at 13th. Knee at 24, Josh at 23. So you guys have him as a low-end starter, high-end reserve mm-hmm. pretty much based on that. Uh, I disagree with that because he's going to start this season, uh, more than likely. Whoa. Why wouldn't he start? Think about the think about the offensive line. Who's going to start over him? And he can start at two different positions, tackle or guard technically. Yeah, I think I had yeah, him right there on you there. I had him right on the fringe as a starter. I do expect him to start. I think his greatest asset is, well, two things. Experience. He's been there a lot. He's taken a lot of lumps and versatility. He can play four of the five spots on the offensive line. And truthfully, he can play all five if necessary. So I think that's something that kind of provides him an opportunity of finding a role and fitting into it. The most difficult thing with Brady throughout his career is he has moved around a lot. So we've never really seen him truly – full-time settle in he did to a degree last year into one spot i think that helps him be more consistent i'm interested to see what coach atkins is able to do when i do think brady's a guy who's got a little bit of swing to him as far as value he could become arguably your third most talented or most dependable offensive lineman after a guy like darius and a guy like uh, dante lucas i would say so he kind of falls into that lump for me I know he hasn't always given you great snaps, but he does have experience, which is valuable. And uh, and like Chris said, he kind of settled into a position last year. He had been a tackle, both left tackle and right tackle in 2018. Played far too early in his career. This past season, they put him at guard. He stays, I think it was at left guard for most of the year. Uh, he, PFF grade goes from 44, which is well below average, to 56 from one year to another. So it goes from below average to just to just a touch below average, almost in the average range. So if he makes another decent jump this year, you're talking about a guy who is going to give you average like, starting caliber reps and snaps. Uh, that's something we haven't seen a whole lot of at Florida State in the last few years. So I would kill for an average 
starting off as a lineman. I think Brady Scott is in that range. That's why I put him in the top 15 mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, and he has moxie too, and that's something that you need with an offensive lineman. Some of those younger guys aren't good at handling the bad. I think he's a kid that's so experienced that he does handle something. Well, he's been there. I mean, they've been crap up front in his time here, and that's not a knock solely on him. They've just been bad as a unit. But I think he kind of understands how to handle when it does go bad, and that's something that some of his younger peers at that position may struggle, especially in the early half of the season, which allows a guy to solidify his spot as a starter. He got better from one year to another. That's like all I really need to kind of be bullish on on his career trajectory. Again, the context is – we're not looking at a superstar. We're looking at someone at a among a position group that's been well below average in recent years that that could give you average starting production this year. I think that would be two thumbs up. Would be okay with that. Number seventeen. This is a guy who was a little more polarizing. Wide receiver Keyshawn Helton. I'm a big Keyshawn fan, but apparently I'm the lowest on him of anyone in in our uh, group. I am at twenty seventh. Chris twenty one. Josh fifteen. I think Wayne had him all the way up in the top 10 at yeah at nine so uh well josh let me ask why you're why you're fairly high you're on the higher end on, on Keyshawn. why am i on the higher end on Keyshawn? because he's such an important piece to the offense and it seems like <laughs> that's why we're doing the important list <laughs> well i'm saying uh, it seems like he's going to be back sooner than later uh even if he misses maybe the first you know two or three games i think he will be back and um make an impact on the team if he was healthy all year, like if we knew he could start mm-hmm. game one, he'd probably be top 10 for me, to be yeah. perfectly honest. He's the second best wide receiver on the team. And truthfully, it's probably the second best offensive weapon on the team that isn't on the offensive line um, in the sense of like what's going to help you produce. To me, after Terry, he's a guy you can depend on the most. I think Corbin's going to fall into that role too, but that's more of a projection than we know it will happen. With Keyshawn, we know it will happen. We know when he's healthy, he produces – and we also know his work effort into getting back to healthy has been unbelievable. I mean, that that kid busts his ass more than anybody on that football team. If I knew for sure, I'm with you, Chris, that he was going to be healthy at the start of the season, that we were going to be assured that he was going to be there from, from day one, top 15, probably top 10 for me, because he can do so much, like you said. Uh, caught seven passes last year for 239 yards, three touchdowns. So, I mean, almost half his catches are touchdowns. Rushed for 19 yards on two carries. I think that's an important part of the puzzle. Mike Norvell likes his offensive uh, playmakers, guys who are going to be versatile. And I didn't realize this. He had eight kickoff returns for 228 yards. That average was in the high 28 uh, yards per return. Uh, if that was throughout the entire season, if he continued that throughout the entire year, that would have been top 10 nationally. So a guy who who is dynamic and explosive. As long as that knee is, is fine and we know he's working hard at it, uh, he will be – an important part of the puzzle, as Josh said. Yes, important. That, that's why we we like him. I uh, I just it's not in the title. Day one. <laughs> uh, God. All right, number sixteen. We have a linebacker, Amari Gainer. Uh, Chris, you are gonna uh, travesty how low he is because you had him at six. I had him at twelve. Newberg at fourteen. Uh, Bud had him all the way at twenty-eight, which I think is the big. Uh, the big difference that that caused him to go so low because everyone was pretty high on him and had him in the top 20 for everyone other than bud who had him nearly at 30 and he explained to me why and bud's not here to defend himself explain to me why why bud's so wrong and you're so right on this i'm not going to call bud wrong but my opinion is that amari's bodies had to catch up to the college game to some degree in the sense of getting bulkier getting bigger 
to handle more frequency of snaps. And I think he's now there. So I think the body has now met the effort for that young man. I, I just think he's a guy that can do a whole hell of a lot of things in a creative defense. He can give you pressure off the edge. He can play in space. He can play to all parts of the field. Athletically, he's there. He's not a guy that fears tackling. He'll go after it. You know, I think he'll compete with Emmett Rice for tackling at that number two spot if Hampsa plays as much as we expect. Hampsa's probably your number one again. Led the team in tackles last year, Eclipse 100. But I think Amari's a guy that can certainly contend for that second spot on your defense as far as tackles go. And on a team where you're not real sure where the pass rush is going to come from consistently, I think that's where Amari's like hidden value is. I think he can be the guy that might not do it a lot, but when he does, it might be successful in doing it. Is there anyone on the roster who can emulate what Amari Gaynor can do in terms of versatility on defense in the front seven? I don't, I don't think there think, is. I don't think there is, at least not right now. I mean, I think Emmett Rice is a pretty damn good athlete, but I don't think he's as good of an athlete as Amari is. Well, you can put Amari out in, in space and cover the the slot area and the flats. Uh, you can have him blitz off the edge. He can stop the run. Yeah, he's he's an important part of the puzzle in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and Amari, Amari's a like, lot like Keyshawn Helton to me. I know how hard those guys work. And there's something about a guy who's been consistent throughout their career here about working to that level. At some point, that effort pays off, and you're you get to a certain point where you're ready to kind of be that guy. And I think Amari's at that point. Amari's always had talent. He certainly had flashes. He was very good early last year. Made some huge plays. Game one, game two. I can't remember sp- specifically which one off the top of my head, but we saw it. But I think now he's at a point where he can more consistently play to a high level. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to finish up from 15 to 11 and a little bit of a teaser. Newberg is going to have to to carry that final part of the segment because Mm -hmm. his polarizing ways are going to be quite evident. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back on the bench to finish off the final part of our 
second part of our top 40 countdown. Oh my God. Josh, are you ready for this? Because you're going to be carrying us. I don't even know what ha- I yeah, just, you, don't even know I, you asked me to submit my list. I submitted my list. I have no idea where anybody else's was. So here's a question. Are you going to want to do this next year? I didn't want to do this this year. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind doing it, but yeah, no, I'm not going to want to do this next year. Well, maybe if the team's better next year, it'll be it'll be a little bit more fun. All right, number 15 on the list of FSU's 40 most important players mm. of 2020. Safety, Jaden Lars would be. I have Jaden at 15. Chris has, Chris has him at nine. And Josh, 22nd. That's a pretty, pretty big difference between you and Chris. Why are you guys so high on him? Let's start with that. Because he's good. Uh, he is coming off the knee injury, but it did happen earlier in the season. So I'm expecting him to be ready for the start of the season. I think a lot of people are fairly low on Jaden because we didn't see a whole lot of good play from him last year. But he was also playing middle linebacker, which in hindsight was just a, a crazy decision for Willie Taggart to, to make and force on the player. I think you put Jaden at his natural position at safety where he can come down and, and stop uh, stop the run effectively, uh, be kind of that hybrid player on the boundary side of the defense I think you're just going to see someone who plays the position where he's meant to play and to me that's going to be valuable and he opens up uh, the ability to move Hampson Hazardine around and gives you more versatility on defense that's why I like him Chris what about yeah. you well that sounds good Brendan but oh, I just okay. see him as a guy without a position um, I'm not sold right now that he's going to make that move back to safety and be an enforcer like we all think and want him to be um, I put him in where did I have him? 22? 22. 22. Yeah. So he was, he's a starter on my team. Um, yeah. Low end starter. Just not as high. I, I'm just curious if he can settle into that position and be a star. It is an I don't unknown. know if that's possible. I think he, I think he's a hallway safety. I think he's very good at being a hallway safety. I think Adam Fuller likes a guy who's willing to play that deep role that can come down and lay a boom. I think a healthy Jaden can certainly do that. We know he's got it in the brain to handle the defense and decipher things. I think that's also important considering no spring, potentially limited preseason of actually being able to get on the field and decipher things. Some guys will struggle more than others. I don't think Jaden will struggle with that. Therefore, I think he's a quick learner, gets on the field, and has a real good shot of playing a lot early. I think Jaden's one of the more talented guys on the whole football roster. I think last year maybe sullied the opinion of him because he was out of position. He did get hurt. It all went bad. I don't think what we saw of Jaden last year is who Jaden is. I was surprised to see the the reader response when we posted this story, just how many people were, were low on him. And I guess recency bias, Chris, like that was the last thing they saw. Well, I mean, the, the, lineba- the linebacker experiment was a train wreck. Yeah. But that's not he, his fault, right? I, I, I think if you got Jaden in the honest tree, he would probably tell you it was a train wreck. I mean, he's smart enough to watch that film and understand that it didn't make sense what they were doing. And, yeah, it didn't I work. Think it's, I think it's unfair to penalize someone who's shown they can be a, a good football player, which he was at the end of his freshman season at the Power Five level, and then you move him to a position he's not. I ever also think before. I also think at safety, people fall in love with wanting someone who's uber athletic in the sense of covering all fields and quick twitch and all that. And Jaden's not that. He's not a guy that's going to fly around the field and just amaze you with at athleticism what he is is a guy who's smart can read plays can come down and lay a boom and can play at all three levels because of his physical ability and i think in adam fuller's scheme there's certainly value to that kind of player 
And you need someone who can direct traffic back there too. And Chris, yes. you mentioned his, his football IQ. So I think we just proved why Josh is so very wrong on this, this aspect. You're okay with Let's me, see. Josh. You guys, I mean, it all sounds great. Like you, these, all these things that you guys are saying sound great. I hope it happens, but we just I, haven't seen that on the field yet. So I just want to learn Josh's like top 15 because all the guys he ranked in the twenties that other people had in the teens. I, I just want to see what Baby on like. Johnson's in his top five. Oh so <laughs> well-deserved, but good luck with that, but, sir. But he doesn't like Jaden Woodby because he hasn't seen him play mm-hmm. in, in his season, but Baby on Johnson, who's been hurt for most of it. it would, never mind. Number 14, defensive end Janarius Robinson. I'm the low man on this one. I had him at 20. Knee had him at seven. Newberg at 12. I, if I had to redo this, I probably would have put him in the top 15 or so. Uh, my only thing is, I, I well, Chris, go ahead and first tell me why you had him in your top 10. I'll own it. I'm being optimistic with him. Okay. I think finally it comes together. Janarius has always had, J Rob's always had a ton of talent. He's a physically impressive being. It just hasn't happened uh, enough. There's been moments it's happened, but not enough, not consistently. I think they're finally able to tap it in. I think with the fact that it was a thing to him to come back and everything that entailed with the decision to come back, I think he's looking to put it together and get it done. And um, I'm banking on some optimism that it happens because they have to find a pass rush. They can't survive as a defense if they don't have a pass rush, the secondary can be as talented as you want to. They'll be dead in the water. So I'm banking on J Rob helping to provide that. And yeah, I'm, I'm higher on him than someone like Kane though, for example, but I think they may be tapping to both of those guys more than we've seen in their time on campus. For what it's worth his career high. I mean, he had career highs in tackles with 48 tackles for loss with nine sacks with three. And he did so efficiently too despite having to play a ton of snaps last season when, when Kendo got hurt. So J-Rob stepped up. He had his best season of his career by far and started kind of giving you some glimpses of like what, what he could be. I think for me, like I know the depth that defensive end is, is shaky. And I imagine that's why Josh, like, is that why he's pretty high for you? Like who else is going to do it? If not him? Yeah. Somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to play the defensive end position and it's an important position on the defense. So Hopefully we see it from him. Um, we haven't yet. I don't have too high of expectations, but you know somebody's got to be in in that top fifteen for me. So when we're talking about importance, like he plays an important position, and there's not a whole lot of other guys who've shown at all mm-hmm. they can do it. So I I get that. I think the thing for me is like the the most important part of what FSU needs for its defense right now is a pass rusher, right? Like that's the big yeah. unknown. That's not J Rob's strength. I think that's why I'm a little higher on Kando because I think he can he can provide a little bit more juice off the edge than than Janaris Robinson, who but is I, more of an edge setter and a run defender, and that's valuable. I just I think there's other guys who can contribute more in that that aspect. And that same point, I would say we've seen J Rob do more than Kando, which is why I have more optimism with J Rob uh, than Kando. Because with both of those guys, you're banking on optimism more so than oh they've done it, they're just going to do it again. Kando has eight career sacks. J-Rob has four. Suck it, Chris. And you're right. Yeah, and what? Four and a half were against... Delaware State. Hey, don't talk about Delaware State. FSU looked into offensive tackle from there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on. (laughs) Next one. Number 13, wide receiver DJ Matthews, a guy who was polarizing amongst our listeners and readers when we put him up this high. I had him at Mm -hmm. 18th, Chris at 11th, Josh, the high man at 9th. I don't think we were too far off, but... But Josh, uh, you did put him in your top ten. Please uh, explain why you're you're carrying the torch for for. DJ. I think Keyshawn Helton's 
availability weighs mm-hmm. heavily on on DJ Matthews opportunities. Um, if Helton is out for an extended period of time, not only is Matthews going to get those reps, but it's going to be important that he takes advantage of those reps and, and becomes kind of the go-to guy for, for whoever the quarterback is, James Blackman. Um, and I think, you know, it's his, it's his last go around here and he hasn't put it all together. We all know he has the tools. There's no question about that. Um, one season where, where he's going to be needed. And, um, you know, I, I think he has a important role on the football team, especially early in the year. Mike Norvell talks about playmakers. DJ Matthews is arguably one of the more electric playmakers on the football team. His ability to turn something small into something big is maybe greater than anybody else on that offense, not named Tamori and Terry. So I'm banking on there being some production in that sense of put him in the right position to go make the big play. He certainly hasn't ever been as consistent as we would hope. The one thing I do hope with DJ this year is if he ends up on special teams, specifically punt return, to kind of see him can finally reach a point of being really good at that. Like we've seen flashes of how good he can be at that. It's never been very consistent. You know, it's the word consistent comes up a lot for me with guys on the team. In recent years, they just haven't been consistent. There's some guys I believe we're going to see more of that from under this staff, and he's one of those. Yeah, DJ, two years ago, was one of the leading punt returners in the country. This past year, I think he averaged was it like six yards per punt return. He, he was in the 40s. He just took a big step back. There is some, I think, fatigue with DJ Matthews because he represents not living up to potential, but he's never been bad. He's actually graded out fairly well the last two years, and he's had 350-plus receiving yards in each of the past two seasons as well. So solid, fine. I, I think it's more of a uh, indicator of what the wide receiving core is, which is a lot of potential, but not a whole lot of proven commodities outside Tamori and Terry. And then a little bit of uh, splashes here from Ontario Wilson and, and Keyshawn Hilton before they got hurt. So uh, DJ Matthews is a viable, healthy option for Florida state right now. And, and someone who could give you some upside in this final season as a playmaker, as Chris said. So, yeah, I think I thought we all were kind of in the right range with, with DJ, uh, maybe he's a little bit high there, but I, I didn't think it was anything too crazy to see him in the top 20. Moving on to number 12, defensive tackle Robert Cooper. This is not going to be surprising. I had him at nine. Chris Snee has him at fifth. Chris loves him some Coop. Josh had him at 13. So not a, not a huge variance there, but but Chris, real quick on why you're high on, on Coop. At a as, really th- depthy position for Florida State. As president of the fan club, I felt like I had to represent <laughs> properly. Okay. I mean, let's be honest here. But Coop to me is a guy that there's nobody else on the team who can do his exact role, which is consume, demand, and free up others. And I understand they're probably going away from the three-man front where he'll be out there more consistently. But I still believe that, you know, he can create opportunities for Marv and for Durden that nobody else on the team can. And he's also got himself in better shape than he's ever been in his life. And he's a guy that can demand attention at the line of scrimmage as also someone who can push the paw back. I just think he gets out there a ton. Like Bud's point in that thread yesterday was essentially that the reps aren't there for him to be considered that high. That's a fair point. That may very likely play out. The problem is I'm not sure how it plays out because we didn't see spring enough and we don't really know how they're going to go about attacking up front. You know, we expect it to be more 4-3 like. It's kind of tough to forecast exactly how much Coop production will be reduced or will be allowed by his reps. I know that Odell loves a kid. You know, I 
truthfully, I trust him more than Corey Durden. You know, Durden can do a little bit more and is a little more versatile. I trust him more than him. The only other guy I think more highly of than him up front is Marvin Wilson. So I was trying to look up Coop's uh, snap count from last year. It was pretty high. Like, he did play a lot. And they were in the 3-4 last year. But he's going to play, like, I don't know how many games he's going to, quote-unquote, start. But he's going to play starting caliber reps. I'm yeah, convinced he, of that. Some of his reps last year were limited by him by having to come out for a blow because he was just worn out. And I think he's done a good job of shedding more weight, getting in better condition. And he's worked hard at that, even though they've not been organized as a team as much. He's still put in a lot of effort there. So I think he's, you know, I've talked about that with Gainer. I've talked about that with Helton, where certain guys, the work ethic catches up to the ability. And I think with Robert, he's in the best position he's ever been in his career. All right. The PFF stats aren't loading quickly enough for me to be able to, to give you guys these numbers. I apologize. Oh, damn. I almost made a whole podcast without apologizing. Number 11, final guy up. Josh, that's almost over. And you are the high <laughs> man on, on this young man coming up. It is running back Jay Sean Corbin. I'm at 10. I frankly thought I was going to be higher than anyone else uh, in our in our panel. Chris was at 17. A little surprising because I know he's high on, on Jay Sean. But Josh, you and young Zach Blostein had him at 7. Mm-hmm. Seven. Wow. I don't think Florida State has a quarterback on the roster that can really carry this football team. So if the team is going to be an, let's say, an eight win, nine win team, um, I think they're going to have to have a back that can carry him. And the one on the roster I see is Jay Sean Corbin. I know he's coming off of a massive injury, um, but Kalen Laybourne has had the, the same injury bug, but he's also had off the field issues as well. So um, I think I put, I hope I put Corbin over, over Kalen Laybourne. You did. I think everyone had Corbin over okay. Laybourne. Uh, so I saw him as the most important running back on the roster. Therefore that's his ranking because I think if this team is going to be successful, they're going to need a back to carry him. Bud was a little bit of the outlier there as I'm looking at this, uh, but he had Laybourne at 14 and Corbin at 15. So just basically mm-hmm. hedging the bets there, which, which makes sense as well. I think. I gave Corbin the nod because of Laybourne's tendency to get caught up in shenanigans off the field. Yeah, not a whole lot of uh, consistency for Laybourne in terms of availability throughout his career, unfortunately. Chris, I thought you'd be a little bit higher on, on Corbin. And not that you have him low, uh, but you have him fairly close to, to Laybourne. You had Laybourne at 25 and you had Corbin at 17. If FSU had a better offensive line, I would have him higher. Okay. Yeah, for me, it's a a potential production thing. I think Corbin's a starter. I said that on the last pod where we did top 40 when we talked about LeBourne. I think there's no doubt Corbin's a starter personally. I think he's also the most versatile back that's immediately ready to play. The issue for him is I just don't know how much he's going to be able to get banged on, especially early coming back from that injury. And I don't have, I have trust issues with the FSU offensive line. Understandable. You've been burned before. for what it's worth, Corbin looked like a million bucks in the spring. Norvell has said he's quote unquote full go. I know they were kind of being cautious with him, but nowhere near as cautious as I would have imagined given his hamstring injury and how bad some people were speculating that it was. He looks like he's ready to go. I'll say this, Norvell loves loves to use running backs in eclectic and in various ways. Corbin had a thousand all-purpose yards in 14 games at, at Texas A&M. He good receiver, good runner, kickoff returner as well. So he's someone that FSU is going to find ways to get him the ball and hope he's a game changer. I think he's the guy that 
put it this way, like who would you rather right now, knowing what you know about their careers up to this point, who would you rather tie your offense to when that's such an important position, Corbin or Laybourne, if you're Mike Norvell? I went with Corbin. That's, that's the answer. I thought that was rhetorical, so I wasn't going to answer, but I'm glad Josh was here. No, I'm saying that is the answer. You go with Corbin. All right. I'm this, telling you, that's the answer. Part is, He's uh, going to go with Corbin. So as the next couple weeks play out here, Chris is about to go on vacation next week. We have it staggered out. Josh going to go out where to Georgia? Where are you in the mountains somewhere? Yeah, I'm going to go to a cabin in Georgia for like three or four nights uh, okay. when Chris gets back. And then I'll be on vacation for the week after that as we get ready for potentially fall camp. We'll, we'll see. I think that's the plan still right now that they are planning August uh, fall camp. Uh, there will not be access to the walkthroughs, uh, basically like a truncated kind of spring in the middle of this month, there will not be media access, I don't believe. And I don't think there'll be like much of a schedule or anything like that either for us to, to closely follow to it. So we're going to take time to recharge. But as the remainder of the 40 most important list kind of comes out, I think Josh is going to be in the mountains in Georgia when we're done with that. Chris, what do you think the chances are that Josh will make himself uh, available for, for that episode? Cell phone issue. What, Brandon? <laughs> I have done multiple podcasts from upstate New York. I've done podcasts from Vegas. I've done podcasts from numerous places, New York City, all over the place. So you I, could always, you could always just explode a pipe in the bathroom right before the podcast <laughs> so you can get out of it like I did on Monday. I, I told Josh, I'm like, what percent chance was there that Chris exploded his own pipe so he didn't have to do the podcast? Better than zero, right? First time in my life I've ever had water just sh- gushing out of a wall at me at full force. Yeah, it wasn't real fun. Yeah, and it's plumbing, so like what kind of water is coming out, you know? Yeah. Poop water. <laughs> Josh, do you want to tease the people or give the people ATs for uh, for our series coming up at the Camp Memories? What's coming up next? Uh, sometime this weekend, presumably? Yeah, we got into the first episode of the new series, ran on Wednesday, and we did – the Seminole Showtime camp from about 07 until the rise of the Jimbo Fisher camps in 2010. Uh, We're going to pick up there in 2010 and just get into some of the big surprises at Jimbo Fisher camp, some of the drama that went down and some of the more memorable, memorable recruitments of Florida state commitments that we can remember. Um, Some some number one prospects that Florida state landed just reminiscing over the last 10 years of Jimbo Fisher camps. Um, we get into it. It's fun. 